Hebrews 11.6. Here is what the word of God is saying. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Let's read it again together. Can you memorize that verse if you can? And without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. This is week number 50 for us in the book of Hebrews. Uh, we have been in it for almost uh, a year now. And um, just to refresh our memories, that book was written to Jews people, Jewish people who became Christian. And because of persecution, they wanted to go back to Judaism. So the author of Hebrews wrote that book to them. So he can encourage them to endure persecution and never consider to go back to Judaism. He spent pretty much the, first, the bulk of the first 10 chapters arguing theology, that Jesus is superior to the Old Testament elements. So he argued, we have seen him arguing that Jesus is superior to the prophets, Jesus is superior to Moses, uh, to the angels. Jesus is superior to Moses. Jesus is superior to Aaron. And who's Aaron? He's the high priest of the Old Testament. And he was the mediator, the one who would bring sinful man to holy God and bring holy God to sinful man, right? So Aaron and the high priest and the priesthood of the Old Testament is essential in the Old Testament way of sinners and a holy God to come together. So pretty much the author of Hebrews spent almost six chapters arguing that Jesus is superior and his ministry is superior to that of Aaron. After he spent, again, almost the, ten, the first ten chapters arguing theology that Jesus is superior, he started from chapter 10, verse 19, all the way till the end of the book, giving them some practical tips. How can they live in the face of persecution? We have seen in, in chapter 10, verse 19 to 31, that he's exhorting them to enter into the sanctuary, which is prayer, enter into the presence of God and not take that for granted. We have seen him in, in, in chapter 10, verse 32 to 39, encouraging them to endure persecution and not to cast aside their confidence, which has a great reward. And we have arrived to chapter 11, when he is encouraging them to live their life by faith. That is the whole point of that chapter. This is week number five, I guess, for us in Hebrews chapter 11. We have seen that the author of Hebrews started chapter 11 by telling them that faith is what? Action. Action. Right. We define faith as, help me here, faith is action based on trust in the actual promises of God. I will say it again. What, how is the author of Hebrews defining faith for us? It is action. You act and you do stuff because you trust God, but you trust the actual promises that he gave to you. Because you trust his word, you actually go and act on it in spite of the fact that you still don't see the fulfillment of these very words. Amen? That's how the author of Hebrews defined faith, described faith to us. And then we have seen that he start going through the Old Testament and give us one example after another that pretty much all the Old Testament saints walked with God and pleased God through their faith, right? 
We started with, uh, anybody remembers? Abel, right? How by faith he offered a better sacrifice to God. And then last time we spoke in Hebrews, that was Hebrews 11.5, and we talked about Enoch, right? And what does Hebrews 11.5 say about Enoch? It says this, by faith Enoch was transferred that he does not see death because he walked with God and the scripture testifies that he pleased God because he pleased God by his faith. God took him out of this earth that he doesn't see death, right? That's how he ended the last part of verse 5, which is because he, Enoch, pleased God. That's why God took him and he did not see death anymore. And with that last part of verse 5, when he said, Enoch pleased God by his faith, now the author of Hebrews is transferring from the scripture of the Old Testament to his own commentary on what does that mean. After he said that Enoch pleased God by his faith, now the author of Hebrews is telling us his own thoughts about that in verse 6. And he said this, And without faith, it is not just for Enoch, it is a general principle for all Christians, for all those who are children of God everywhere, that without faith, it is what? Impossible to please God. It wasn't just for Enoch to please God by faith. This is for every single one of us, that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Why? He explains that. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Amen? Today we're just going to stop at the first part of verse 6. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Can we say that together? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. The last part of that verse, I actually preached about it already a couple of years ago. So I'm not going to uh, talk about it next week. If you want, you can go back and listen to the old sermon. Next week, we're going to go to Hebrews 11.7. But today, we're just going to focus on that first part. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. The word without in the book of Hebrews was mentioned 13 times. 13 times throughout the book of Hebrews, we see the word without. Some of the times we see it like describe Jesus, how he is without sin. Some of the other times we see that word, for example, in Hebrews 7, say, without any dispute, the greater always bless the one who is lesser. So 13 times here and there, we see that the word without is used in the book of Hebrews. However, out of these 13 times, there is only three times that the word without was used to describe our relationship with God. You guys are with me? Like when it says Jesus without sin, I'm not looking into that. But when it comes to how we deal with God and God deals with us, there is three withouts in the book of Hebrews that control the relationship between God and man. You guys ready for this? Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And now Hebrews 11.6, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And then Hebrews 12.14, pursue peace with all and holiness, without which no one will see God. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. The three withouts in the book of Hebrews that control and govern our relationship with God. Here they are. Without the blood of Jesus, you cannot be forgiven by God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And without holiness, it's impossible to see God. Amen?
Can we say this again together? Without the blood, it's impossible to be forgiven by God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without holiness, it's impossible to see God. Let's talk about the first one real quick. Without the blood of Jesus, it's impossible to be forgiven by God. We exhausted the blood of Jesus. We talked about this over and over and over again. I'm just going to remind us of a couple of quick points here. What is sin? We talk about this a lot. What is sin? What is the biblical definition of sin from 1 John? Sin is lawlessness. That's how the scripture says sin is. Lawlessness here means the active break of the law. Like you know what the rules are and you go out and you break these rules. Just like when you're driving and you see the sign say the speeding limit is 35 miles per hour. So you push the gas pedal and you push all the way to 55, 55 miles per hour. This way you are intentionally breaking the law. You guys are with me? And that's the very definition of what sin is. Sin is intentionally breaking the law of God. God said you don't lie, but you're in a situation and lie will get you out. So you go out and lie. Thus you are sinning. You are committing lawlessness. You are breaking the law of God. And just like when you break any law here on earth even, when you break the law, you're under the penalty, the punishment of breaking the law, right? It's the same thing when it comes to God. When you sin against God, when you break his law, you are under the punishment and the penalty of a holy and a righteous God. That's why the scripture says the wages of sin is death. That is eternal separation from God forever and forevermore. But it is through the blood of Jesus that you and I can be forgiven. Paul talked about this in, in Romans chapter 3, that in the blood we have propitiation, right? We talked about this word before. What does propitiation mean? Propitiation is a gift that you give to someone to ease their anger, to ease their wrath over you. I'll give you an example. Let's say I am out and about driving and Katrina, my wife, calls me and we get into that heated argument on the phone and I know if I go home, I'm in trouble because I, you know, provoked her anger, provoked her wrath. But being a decent, smart guy, I swing by at a florist shop before I go home and buy her a dozen of roses, right? And when I go home, uh, I, I know good enough that I don't put the roses behind my bag because I'm not surprising her. I put the roses first thing so she can see the roses before she sees me. And my hope is that when she sees the good looking roses, she will just soften toward me a little bit and not let me sleep on the couch. You guys are with me. So that is pretty much the same idea of the blood of Jesus. It is something that was offered to God to ease his wrath over our sin. That's what Paul said in Romans chapter 3. In the blood of Jesus, there is propitiation. We just said that sin is breaking the law of God. And when you break the law of God, you are under the judgment of God. But when Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood, his blood satisfied the justice and the requirement of God's law. And because that justice and righteousness of God is satisfied by the blood of Jesus, now God who is holy is willing to accept us and forgive us our sins if we repent and turn back to him. Amen? 
Without the blood of Jesus, none of us could have ever been forgiven, even if we repent, even if we try to do good, even if we tell God that we're sorry and we're remorseful, and it can be very much be the case. It is the blood of Jesus that opens the door for us to be forgiven before a holy and a righteous God. You guys are with me? It's kind of like if you commit, let's say somebody robbed the bank, and you go stand before the judge. You get caught 20 years down the road, and you go stand before the judge, and you tell the judge, Your Honor, I am very sorry. I, I really am regretting the fact that I robbed this bank and I wasted all this money. Guess what the judge is going to tell you? I am sorry too. You have to go to the jail anyway, because you broke the law. You have to pay the penalty of breaking the law. You guys are with me? But once the sentence is satisfied, once the court is satisfied, now you can be forgiven before the law. And this is the exact same principle that govern our relationship with God. Without the blood of Jesus, there is no forgiveness of sin. Amen? Amen. All right. Now, the point number two. Without faith, without the blood, you cannot be forgiven by God. Without faith, it is impossible that you can please God. The word please here that is mentioned in, in, in Hebrews 11.6 literally means well-pleasing. Bring pleasure to the heart of God. And that word was mentioned three times in the book of Hebrews. We have seen it in Hebrews 11.5 when it talked about Enoch, right? He was God-pleasing. He well-pleased God. That's the exact same word that the author of Hebrews brought from verse 5 and used it again in verse 6. Without faith, it's impossible that you can be well-pleasing to God. And then we see the exact same word again in Hebrews 13, 16. It says this, And do not forgive to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is well-pleased. Amen? A lot of people wonder, how can I please God? Isn't that the desire of pretty much every one of his children? If you're a child of God today, already redeemed by the blood of Jesus that we talked about, sometimes you wonder, how can I please God? How can I make God so well pleased by me? And the scripture is clear. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. You want to please God? Have faith in him. But what is faith again? Faith is action based on trust in the promises of God. Do you want to please God? Go act on his word. You guys are with me. You want to please God? Act on his word. If he said go and make disciples, go and preach the gospel, you go and preach the gospel. If he said go pray for the sick, you go pray for the sick. Even though you don't see fruit, you don't see result, you still trust him that his word is good and he is faithful and you keep on acting on his word by trusting him. This is what pleases the very heart of God. You guys are with me? If you want to please God, act on his word. Not act on what you see with your sight. Not act on what you think is God's word. Not act on your perceptions. Act on his word. Trust him for what he said and go act on it. Don't trust him and stay in bed and say, hey, I trust God, but I'm not going to do nothing about it. That's not faith. You guys are with me? You go out and you do something because God has promised in his word that he will show up, that he will do one thing one way. For example, God said in the scripture, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land, right? That's his promise. 
that if we seek his face, diligently pray, then he will heal our land. So that is a way to please God, to keep on praying for the sake of those who don't know him. Keep on praying for the sake of our nation, for the sake of our land, that the Holy Spirit will be poured out and people will come to know Jesus. Even though sometimes we pray, we don't see the answer to prayer, we keep on praying because it is that act of faith that is pleasing to the very heart of God. Amen? Amen? Amen. Now, when I was, I think, in college, uh, I heard one sermon one time, and the guy who was preaching, he said this, and the, it stuck in my brain because it's so good. You know, during the life of Jesus here on earth, when Jesus ministered to us, the scripture tells us that Jesus was marveled twice. Anybody knows where in the scripture, the, the Bible, in the Gospels tells us that Jesus marveled? We see it twice. We see it in Mark, Mark 6, and we see it in Matthew 8. In Mark 6, Jesus was in his own hometown of Nazareth. And the people in Nazareth, they just, they just did not trust Jesus. They just knew who he is. So they just have no faith in him that, they can do, that he can do any miracles. And this is what the scripture says here. Jesus was amazed at their lack of faith. The lack of faith that the people of Nazareth show marvel Jesus and this is not a good marvel amen this is a disappointed marvel amen he was very disappointed at them so much so that he was so surprised by their lack of faith but we see the exact same thing that Jesus also marveled in a different story in Matthew chapter 8 when the centurion came to Jesus and said you know my servant is sick would you please heal him and he's Jesus said oh yes I'm coming to heal him and the guy said no no you don't have to come you Perfect enough, good enough, powerful enough that if you just can say a word where you at, my servant will be healed. And you know what the scripture says when Jesus heard that? He said, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to, to those who are following him, truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Now, this kind of faith marveled Jesus. Jesus was so surprised and so pleased with the kind of faith that this man had shown. He trusted Jesus so much so that he said, you don't even have to come. You guys are with me. Now, when you trust God in the same way, this is the kind of faith, the kind of trust that will make Jesus so pleased to the point of being marveling at us because we trust him for his word. Amen? It is without faith that it is impossible to please God. Now, the word impossible that we see here in Hebrews 11.6 was mentioned uh, four times all in all in the book of Hebrews. You guys are with me? Four times all in all we see the word impossible. We see it here in, in Hebrews 11.6. But we have seen it already before three times. We've seen it in Hebrews 6, 4. Here is what the author of Hebrews is saying. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost, if they backslide, it's impossible for them that they will ever come back to Christ. Right? That's the first time. The second time we see it in the same chapter, verse 18. And by two immutable things, the oath of God and the promise of God, in which it was impossible for God to lie. We might have a strong consolation. So in other words, the author of Hebrews here is telling us it's impossible for God to lie, confirmed by his oath and by his promise. 
And then in Hebrews 10, 4, it says this, it is impossible for the blood of goats and bulls to take away sins. Bear with me here. You guys are with me? And now in Hebrews 11, 6, the author of Hebrews says, it is impossible to please God without faith. Do you see what the author of Hebrews is trying to tell us here? It is in this, the possibility of God, look at this, the possibility of God being pleased with us without faith, the possibility of God being pleased with us without faith is equal to the possibility of him lying or the possibility of the blood of animals to take away sins once and for all. You guys are with me. Now, how possible is it for God to lie? Pretty, pretty, pretty impossible, right? In the same level that is, it's impossible for God to lie, it's impossible on the same level that God will be pleased with you and me without trusting in him. I mean, think about it. I have my kids. If my kids, I ask them to do something, if I ask Micah, my son, to, to act in a certain way, to go like one way, like say, Micah, um, <clears throat> whatever, I'm tr trying to come up with, with some example. I say, um, let's say he's older and he has his own money and I'm saying, Micah, go grab me a cup of coffee from Starbucks and I'll pay you back. And I promise you, I will pay you back. And he said, Dad, I'm just not sure that you're good enough for your word. I'm not sure if I go act on what you told me to do, that you're actually going to come through and your word will be true. Can you imagine how hurtful that will be to me, right? That my son think that my character is so flawed that I will not fulfill the word that I told him that I would do, right? Right? And it's the exact same way when God says something and we don't act on it. When God says pray, because if you pray, I will heal your land. And I say, you know what, God? We prayed a couple of times. Nothing happened. I'm not sure if you're good for your word. I'm not sure if you're really going to come through. I'm not sure if you're going to fulfill what you have promised you fulfilled. In other words, we're implying to God that his character is so flawed that we tested him and he failed and he's not worthy of our trust anymore. Isn't that just crazy? But that is what we do to God when we don't trust him. When we see his word, when we read it, and we don't act on it, this is how hurtful it can be to the heart of God. Amen? Amen. How possible is it to please God without faith? It's impossible. Absolutely impossible to please God without faith. What kind of faith the author of Hebrews is talking about here? Let's, let's look at the broader context of Hebrews 11.6. Here it says here, and without faith it's impossible to please him. Now the author of Hebrews is explaining that. How, what kind of faith he's talking about? What kind of action he's asking us to do based on trusting God? It says this, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I think the word diligently is key here. You guys are with me? If you, the idea here that you need, you and I need to trust God and be faithful and have faith, that kind of faith that is impossible without which for God to be pleased with us is trusting him in prayer, even though we don't see the answer to our prayer. To keep on praying, keep on seeking, keep on knocking, even though we keep on seeking God and we don't see anything happening, the author of Hebrews say, when you trust God that way, 
say that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. This is specifically in our situation here, the kind of faith that is pleasing to God. You guys are with me? Think about this. How, if you say, if you have an exam, if you have a test, um, and you study for that test for like half an hour, the night of the test, you just grab your books, go to Starbucks, sit down for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, you study, and you go to take the test the following day. Do you consider that you have studied diligently for that test? Probably not. What is diligently? I, I tell you, when I was in pharmacy school, I would wake up 6 o'clock in the morning, and I go to bed at 2 o'clock at, at night, study the whole time, eat while I'm studying, because it was just so much material I need to memorize. Now, I don't know about you, that's studying diligently. You guys are with me? It's being persistent. It's being consistent. It's keep on trying. It's keep on investing the time and energy, because you know there is an exam coming up. That is studying diligently. You guys are with me? And that is the kind of prayer, in a way, the kind of attitude toward prayers that the author of Hebrews is asking us to have toward God. If we say in one situation, for example, our church, God, visit our church. We have a prayer meeting for half an hour and God shows up and everything is working well. Is that seeking God diligently? Relatively, but no, the answer is no. This is not diligently seek God. The idea of seeking God diligently means you're going to invest time, right? The idea of seeking God diligently means you're not going to see the results right away. Because if you see it right away, you don't need to seek God diligently because he showed up immediately. You guys are with me. The idea here that the author of Hebrews is telling us is this. You pray. You seek God. For whatever situation, our church, your kids to come to know Jesus, whatever the situation is, you pray. And when you don't see that God is answering your prayer, you, instead of giving up, you pray harder. And the more you don't see that there's an answer to your prayer, you keep on seeking God. You keep on trusting God. You keep on faithfully go after him because you know deep down in your heart that he is faithful for his promise and he's faithful for his word. You guys are with me? Now this is an action. Keep on praying. That's an action, isn't it? But this action is based on trust and the actual promises of God. He said, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray. He didn't say, I might hear from heaven. He said, I will hear from heaven. There is no question that God will do his part if we do our part. And that's a big F. You guys are with me. So let's not give up. He is faithful. This is the kind of faith specifically that is well-pleasing to God. Amen? When he sees that you trust him no matter what, your physical eyes tell you that God is not answering your prayer, but with your spiritual eyes you see the unseen, as we talked about the very definition of faith. Amen? I want to encourage us today, as a as, as small group of believers, God is no respecter of person. You guys are with me? God does revivals all over the world. And he is not, he's not no respecter of person. He can visit us here, right here in Franconia Community Church. The problem is not in God. The problem is in us, in, in me. You guys are with me? You guys are with me? When I was reading that verse, I, my prayer to God was not, God, please show up and do it quickly. My prayer was, God, make me someone who seeks diligently after you. Because if I am, for example, seeking diligently after God, there is absolutely no question that he is, and he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You guys are with me? I want to encourage us today. But the flip side of that coin, to be fair, 
If we don't pray, you can have all the faith that you want that God will show up and do miraculous things. But if you don't diligently seek his face, you, got, you are setting yourself up for disappointment. You guys are with me. You guys are with me? We have to do it God's way if we want God's promises. You guys are with me? What is faith again as we defined it? Faith is an action based on a trust in the actual promises of God. What is the promise of God? If my people who are called by my name humble themselves, turn from their wicked ways and pray, then I will hear from heaven and heal their land. You guys are with me? This is not an unconditional promise from God. This is a conditional promise from God. So if we don't do our part, God is not obligated to do his part. He might do it out of his grace and the goodness of his heart, but we should not expect it, and we should not expect God to do it this way. You guys are with me? How possible is it to please God without faith? Impossible. And this applies to any part of your life situation. If your kids are not saved... God said that it's his heart and his will for them to come to know Jesus. So you keep on praying, you keep on seeking, you keep on trusting. And in spite of the fact that the harder you pray for them, the further they go away from God, it seems like it, right? But even though your physical eyes tell you, don't pray anymore. Prayer is not working. God is not listening. If God is listening, he would have done it already. You keep on seeking him for, for he is, and he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Amen? Without the blood, it's impossible to be forgiven by God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And finally, without holiness, it's impossible to see God. That's what it says here in Hebrews 11, um, 12, 14. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see God. Even though the word impossible is not mentioned here, but it's no one will see God is pretty Pretty impossible, right? The, the author of Hebrews is telling us. It's pretty impossible to see God without holiness. Now, the word holiness in biblical Greek is um, hagismos. Uh, the last ending of this word is M-O-S. That's how the Greek word ends. And in biblical Greek, whenever there's a Greek word that ends with M-O-S, it implies action. So what the author of Hebrews is talking here in, in Hebrews 12, 14, when he said, pursue peace and holiness. You guys are with me? We talked about holiness before that we are already sanctified positionally because of what Jesus has done for us. We're already sanctified children of God. But this is not what the author of Hebrews is talking about here. He's talking about purity in our conduct. He's not talking about our position as sanctified children of God because of what Jesus has done for us. He's talking about how we live our life in this world. We should live our life, how? With holiness. We should pursue holiness. And it says this, without it, no one will ever see God. And it's very interesting because the word that the author of Hebrews here used in, for the word pursue it is a stronger verb that he could have chosen another word that is a little bit weaker, but he chose a very strong word. It literally, one commentator, David McLeod, said this. It's kind of like a hunter going after the prey. This is the kind of intensity that the author of Hebrews is telling his readers to go after the holiness and walking before God in purity. You guys are with me? How much is God or the author of Hebrews in, in, encouraging us to pursue holiness 
We're going to see that in the beginning of chapter 12. He said this to, to, the, to the Hebrews. He said, you have not yet strived against sin to the bloodshed. What is he telling them? He's saying, you should strive for holiness. Even that means the shed of your, your very own blood. If you have to die but not sin, then you should strive that much for holiness. You guys are with me. Jesus himself said something among these lines. He said, if your right eye offend you, do what? Plug it out. Throw it away. He said, if your right hand offend you, cut it off. Throw it away. Obviously, Jesus is not talking literally here. He's talking metaphorically. But the point is still valid. You should go after holiness no matter what it costs you and me. You guys are with me. You guys are with me. Why? Because without holiness, no one can see God. See God here. Obviously, the author of Hebrews here is not talking about eternity. That if you don't strive to be pure before God, you will never go to heaven. We're not talking about that. He's talking about having a fellowship with God. A, a communion with a holy and a righteous God in our daily walk with him. If we don't strive to please God in our walk, it's impossible that a holy and a righteous God will come down and have any sort of communion or fellowship with us. Makes sense, right? A holy God is not going to mix with a bunch of sinners who want to accommodate sin and not be so strong against it. You guys are with me? Without holiness... It's impossible to fellowship with God, to know Him. And in our world nowadays, holiness can be, you, pretty much people look at you and think you're, you're a dummy if you're trying to be holy before God. You know, it's, uh, it's not, it's, 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 it's mocked. It's being, uh, you're a fool if you're trying to do the right thing and trying to conduct your life by the word of God, right? But who cares about what the world says? You have one boss to please and his name is Jesus amen so strive for holiness because without holiness no one will ever see God amen let's close by repeating these three withouts in the book of Hebrews without the blood it's impossible to be forgiven by God without faith it's impossible to please God and without holiness it's impossible to see God can we close our eyes and pray